0: So again, welcome to Macav. If you're new here, it's great to have you. Uh, we hope you enjoy the Lord with us. Part of the th- one of the things we do at Macav is this is kind of a discussion. Even though I'm going to be leading and doing most of the talking, but the idea is that if there's questions that you have as I'm talking, please feel f- about the passages or about what I'm trying to explain. Please feel free to raise your hand as long as it regards to the passage, and we'll have a conversation about that and see if I can answer the question for you. One thing I would ask you. I'm from a Pentecostal background, and I'm used to hearing amens or high fives in the air or something like that, and when you're standing up here and you're trying to get a message across, I would love to have you guys say amen once in a while if something I see is applicable to your life or you think that I discern the scripture well. So other than Pastor Leon, would you guys please give me some high fives or some amens because I always hear him, and my wife's not in the crowd today, so I don't have her uh, either. So a few points before we pray, Um, just from a cursory reading of today's scripture, we can see kind of four things happening. Israel's complaining, again. Israel's in unbelief, again. Israel's angry at Moses, again. And Israel is angry at God, again. So let's pray. Father, what a joy to come before you. Thank you so much that we have your holy scriptures, Father God, a history of who you've been. And your word says you've never changed, Father God. You're the same yesterday, today, now, and forever. And so, Lord, we see you as that great heavenly Father, Father God, who took care of Israel for 40 years, even amongst their grumbling, complaining, anger, and unbelief. Lord, quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, give us hearts of belief and of conviction, knowing as a caring Father who you are, Lord, that as we walk through difficult circumstances, situations, and trials, that those things don't affect us because we've built our foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ and on your word and on your unchangeableness. Lord, speak clearly through your word. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, after we go through these passages of scripture, there's two things that I want to talk about. One is grumbling, and it's against leadership with a small L and leadership with a big L. Small L being Moses or our employers or our pastors, elders, those that are in leadership above us. Leadership with a capital L, God's leadership over us. And the second thing we're going to spend most of the time on is we're going to discuss unbelief. So let's just jump right in through the scriptures. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Now the people had a right to ask this question, but if they would have phrased it in a term of belief, that's a whole different ballgame. Who of us here, who's a parent, would scold their child for saying, hey mom, dad, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, can I get some water? Can you imagine what would have happened here if Israel would have come to Moses, if they would have come in a line and they said, okay Moses, here's our vessels, we're thirsty, where do we fill them up at? Trusting that the God who's already said, I've heard you and I'm going to deliver you. And who, what, a week ago, a month ago, rained manna down and flew in meat. Do you guys see the difference there? They're murmuring and complaining with an immediate heart of unbelief. But can you imagine again if they would have walked forward and with their vessels? The Lord would have honored that and not been displeased with them. And that wouldn't have been unbelief. The other thing is they've all been following the same pillar and cloud to each place. It's not like Moses all, yeah, I got this. Here's where I'm going to take you. That's not about Moses. They've been seeing the same pillar as Moses did. And they were following, as the scripture says, commanded by the Lord. Again, this was not some power play by Moses. They assumed the worst initially. They assumed against the fatherhood nature of God Almighty, who again, a week ago, a month ago, whatever it was, provided manna. He rained it down as well as flew quail in. Once again, Moses here reminds the people, you're not complaining against me. You're complaining against the Father. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again, this is a dire pressing issue, one of life and death. So we can understand their concern. This is not about you or I making a mortgage payment or getting a second car or the home up north or anything like that. This is life and death. They're in the middle of the wilderness. There's no water. Again, if they would have brought... A question before the Lord, not a grumbling of unbelief. Grumbling is sin based on unbelief. As we see God's anger expressed in the Psalms, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. And listen to this, though they had seen my work, For 40 years, I loathed that generation. I mean, that's strong language coming from the God of the universe. For 40 years, I loathed that generation because they saw his works and continue to act in unbelief. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways even though they saw my works. Therefore swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. No excuses here as God says they've already seen my works. God says they always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. I want you guys to remember this section because we're going to jump to the New Testament in a little bit. And I want to show you a parallel there. Question for you guys. Why would Moses want to kill him? I mean, what benefit is there? I mean, this was such of a foolish question, it's hard for me to even grasp. But what we see is what emotion can do when it neglects rational thinking. Even in a rational, spiritual aside, Moses is going to take, what, million plus people out in the wilderness just to kill them. I mean, that, that's just foolish thinking. I, I can't comprehend that. Again, another direct accusation against God it wasn't even well veiled by the people. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people as they're ready to stone me? What has Moses done for them other than good? The only concern was the very first time he approached Mo- er, uh, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh took straw away. And even then, A, that wasn't Moses. B, that was God setting this thing up so he could once again show Israel how good of a God he is by providing for them. Whereas the people complained against Moses, Moses cried out to God. And we can assume Moses exercised faith in this cry out to God or else the scriptures would have probably made note of that concerning Moses. You know, and as I was going through this, I thought of John 10.32 where Jesus says, I've shown you many good works for my Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? It seems like Moses was in the exact same position. Now, Israel should have known that Moses was incapable of providing water. Hence, the accusation was really against God. And once again, they've all been walking, following the pillar of fire and the cloud that's been leading and guiding them. So water is a necessity, and that need would have not escaped the Lord's attention. So because he led them to a place, because he leads you and I to places of seeming drought... We've got to recognize there is a reason. Once again, the reason was, are you going to trust in the jewels and the gold that I gave you as payment? Or are you going to trust in me as your heavenly Father that I can provide those things for you? And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, And you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now the Lord says, I will stand before you. I mean like, wow. Wow. They've been following this pillar and this cloud, but God says that he's going to go stand before them. Can you imagine what it would be like to be an elder and you're going to walk over to the rock and see the creator of the universe standing there? One of the uh, commentators that I read, Pastor Leon, sent me uh, a bunch of stuff, said that by the language here and by the language implied later on in Exodus, there's distinct possibility that this water that was flowing like followed them and flowed wherever they were as they were traveling to the promised land. So I'm going to read you a quote by a guy named Stewart. The Israelites' inexcusable attitude becomes clear with Moses' concluding statement in the entire story. They tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Had the people said something like, Does the Lord intend for us to become weaker and weaker while we wait for him to supply us with water? It would still have been an untrusting statement and evidence of a lack of faith, but for the people actually to doubt God's presence among them was outrageously unfaithful. His presence was obviously manifest at all times, and it was at that very time through the pillar of cloud and fire. So the people's question must be seen as nothing other than a contempt of the Lord's leadership over them. It would be akin to asking a runner, In the midst of a marathon, do you intend to run in this race? Or for you mothers out here? Or asking a mother while she's in the kitchen working hard to get the family's meal ready, are we going to have dinner tonight? I mean, think about that. Think of the arrogance. Think of the contempt that Israel's expressing. They're walking in provision of the Lord already. And they say, is the Lord among us? Let me finish the quote. It's an insult. It looks at the obvious and implies by snidely denying it that it is no good. Israel thus incurred God's wrath and challenged God in a way that he could not ignore. So let's move on to the two points that I brought up initially uh, that are apparent lessons for us today. We all have to submit to leadership with a small L. And kind of we're going to talk a little bit today in one sense, let's maybe just say employers But probably in the main sense, pastors. You know, again, I own a business. You guys know that. As a leadership, you know, I'm in leadership, and yet there are still people that I'm in submission to governmental authorities, all kinds of rules and regulatory. If you're an employee, you know, you're in submission to your boss. Everyone, regardless of who you are, is in submission to somebody else. Even our pastors. In a sense, because we have a plurality of elders, when we're talking, we're all talking and making sure that we're saying on the same page, Eric or Leon can't just go out and make a decision without first conferring with the elders for the most part. I just want you guys to recognize we are all under small-l leadership, one form or another. I absolutely struggle with government and all their intrusions into my life, especially my business life. Any of you guys who know me get me talking about that stuff, man, I'm, I'm grumbling. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that they're put there by God and that I'm to submit to them. They had Moses, and you and I have earthly leaders. So may I suggest a few things when dealing with what we see as unjust leadership as apparently that's what Israel's persuasion was. First of all, man, check your heart. Ask God to reveal any issues that might be clouding your view of reality. Pride. You don't like the leader. You don't like his style of leadership. You could do a better job. Is there insecurity because they're educated and you're not? Man, always the first thing we got to do is check our heart when there's some opposition there. Remember, being a leader is hard work, and they need more grace as they balance more things than most of us have to. You know, got to bring it up. You know, Pastor Eric, Pastor Leon, not only, I mean, man, there's like a slew of things that you and I will never face. First of all, they have to answer to God for your soul's. I mean, do you guys have any idea of what the weight of that is? I mean, they can't just make a flippant suggestion when one of us comes to them and says, hey, man, I got a problem. Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. They can't just like, oh, yeah, I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because they're going to answer to God for that. And when you think of that, let's just say you look at it as their job. The second component is when you and I have left their offices after dumping our baggage in their laps, they got to deal with that, recognizing the sorrows and the griefs or the foolishness and stupidity of us. And I put me at the top of that category. I'm not pointing fingers. There's been times I've gone to both of those guys' office, dumped something in their lap, and then I walk away all happy because they gave me some good news. And then they're thinking, what the heck? I mean, how do I take care of this guy now? Is he that screwed up? But seriously, think about that—not just as their job for you and I as congregation members, but the emotional. I mean, they don't shut it off at five o'clock at night. They take those things home, and they got to ponder those things. They got to pray about those things. They got to, like, empty the garbage of intake that we as congregation members give them, again in bad ways. Now, again, they they get to rejoice in some of the good stuff, but I just. Guys, want you to taste what Moses was tasting. God gave him this job, and here these guys want to stone him, and they're grumbling. And Moses got to once again go back to God. Hey, I know you just gave them food. I know you flew in quail. I know that, like, man, they used to be in slavery, and I know you paid them 400 years back in jewels and gold, but, you know, they're grumbling again. That's a big deal. Those are big shoulders. Number three, ask yourself, is there a bigger purpose to what I'm having to subject myself to? And I can almost guarantee you, every single time there is, whether the leader over you is right or wrong, the Lord is going to teach you things. I mean, he asked us to submit to government, and we know who they are. And yet, really, really, think about it. But he asks us to submit to them because we're going to learn things by doing so. God's developing Christ in us. He's developing character in us. And that's the whole point. So lastly, again, I I don't expect to know all of your circumstances. But there's two things. Or the last thing is, lastly, if appropriate, make an appeal. Man, we're sitting in elders' meetings. we got five guys, all different opinions. And man, there's plenty of times that four against one. And I say, wait a minute, guys, i got to tell you one more time. Have we considered this? And at that point in time, they say, yeah, Matt, we have. You, you've already brought it up four times. We get it. <laughs> so anyways, there's, there's appropriate times to make appeal. So I, I want to make sure I'm not just saying we blindly day, lay down and let people run over us and that kind of thing. There are definitely times to make an appeal. So what's the big picture takeaway here? Unbelief. Now, if you guys know me, you know that Hebrews 4.1 is probably one of my favorite scriptures. And I think I quote it almost every time I stand up here. because Probably because I've struggled with it so much in my own life. And it says, Let us fear lest a promise of entering into his rest Any of you should seem to come short of it, not mixing faith with what you've heard. And if you go back and you read the whole context of that, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about people who have seen the works of God and then say, man, is he among us? We need to exercise faith in order to enter into that rest. And then again, Psalms 95, we read that as well. So let's do a quick recap. Israel's in slavery for over 400 years. God says to them, man, I've heard you cry, and I'm going to deliver you. Sends Moses and Aaron, and although it was a rough road, Israel walks away again with a 400-year-plus lump sum payment in jewels and gold. And you know what's the irony of this thing? Just think about this, guys. They walked away with all this gold and jewels, and in the wilderness it didn't do them good. And I just think that's comic relief because what's the Lord doing? Are we going to trust in riches and jewels to buy your way out of this thing? Are you going to look to me and trust me that by out of a rock I can bring water? I can fly in quails over the mountaintop, and I can rain manna from the heavens and give you angels' food. Man. And then, again, they've seen the Red Sea, pillar of fire and cloud, manna, and quail. So let's talk a little bit about leadership with a capital L, which is God. Israel's sin was that of unbelief because of God's previous declaration of deliverance, along with the subsequent proofs that he could and would and did do as he promised. Again, I want you to remember again, remember the tone, the accusation of, Hey mom, are we having dinner? Can you imagine how vile that was in the Lord's ears? Did they think he was a liar? Did they think he was incompetent? Plus, they'd already seen the miracles declaring his statements as being trustworthy. So, here's to me the the big gig right up there. The Israelites saw circumstances and rushed to a conclusion about them prematurely. The Israelites saw circumstances and rushed to judgment prematurely. They saw no water equals we die. No water equals God doesn't care. No water equals God is unaware or uncaring. That's the immediate conclusion they came to. Instead of reflecting back on God's character that he had shown them previously. Now, I'm always nervous right here because we're going to make a transition. We're going to kind of jump jump stream, so stay with me. Ask questions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus redefines how we are to live. Two examples, murder and adultery. Previous to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, they were acts. Stick a knife in a guy. It, or the act of sexual immorality. Sleeping with someone who you weren't supposed to. And what does Jesus do? He completely redefines that no longer as acts, but acts of the heart. Man, you hate this brother? You killed him. You looked at another man or woman and said, wow. You just slept with him. Man, I mean, that, that was mind-blowing. And then he transitions into the second to the last paragraph of chapter 7, after telling us how we're to live, and you know what he says there? He says, there's going to be some people who say, when they get to heaven, they say, hey, man, man, we were rock solid. We did miracles. We cast out demons. We did all these things in your name. And what does he say? I never knew you. Why? Why? Because they were thinking it was just acts, not an attitude of the heart. And then he goes on in the last cha- or the last paragraph of, of chapter 7. He says, therefore. Right after he said, depart from me, I never knew you. He says, therefore. And you guys have heard the little thing. Whenever you hear therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. So that's why you step backwards. Jesus is defining what true believers are. And here he says, therefore, everyone then who hears these words of mine and what? Does them. Does them. Not just keeps walking on blindly, but you have to do them. So we need to pay more attention. I'm sorry. We need to pay attention to more than the circumstances that we see. We need to reorient our thinking with the absolute certainty of God and his character. Circumstances never, circumstances never reveal the entire picture. Guaranteed, they do not. If Israel would have been paying attention and they would have balanced this thing off and said, God's a a father, he's going to take care of us. Moses, here's our vessels. Where do we fill them up at? If your foundation is firm, then circumstances, adversity, doubts, they may banter you about, but you're going to come back to that central pace of God is love and all that that declaration infers. With practice and discernment, we can develop a trusting heart. So let me give you five components to assist you in building a firm foundation. Have the right high view of our Heavenly Father. Creator of the universe, knows all, is everywhere, opens the ground and swallows up unbelievers. We need to fear God and not just the cleaned up version that we like to talk about as a holy reverence, but remember Isaiah's reaction when he fell face down saying, I am undone. We, we Think about this. He's the lover and knower when a sparrow falls. He's a lover of the prostitute caught in the act. He's the one who weeps over Jerusalem and he weeps over Detroit. He's the one who sent his own son to die for the enemies of his kingdom. I mean, that... That should just blow our minds. B. look for and acknowledge every answered prayer, every intervention by God. Pay attention, look for him and his deeds in our daily living. Luke 17.10, I don't know if you guys know the story. Some lepers cry out to Jesus to be healed. He says, man, you're healed. They all take off. What happens? Who comes back? One. What about the other nine? And do you guys know that that one was a Samaritan? I mean, he wasn't even a friend of Christ. He wasn't even a friend of the Jews. He came back and said, thanks. I want a man like encourage you guys. As we're praying, as we're praying over these cards, and the next week, they come back, or two weeks later, they come back and we've got an answer to prayer. Man, let us absolutely rejoice and remember the faithfulness of our Father. Pray hard. Pray with faith and pray scripture. Pray scripturally. And you'll see God as he answers. If you guys remember the woman in scripture, again, one of my favorite stories, who harassed the judge. And what did the scripture say? It says, even though he was an unjust judge, strictly because of her perseverance, he answered her prayer. And it goes on to say, like, how much more is your heavenly father going to do those things for you, his children? And I'd ask you guys, man, to please consider reading some of the old guys. Read Charles Spurgeon. Read about George Mueller. Read Hudson Taylor. Read how these guys prayed. I mean, there's two components that I think are just absolutely, like, left and right on the scope of things. They prayed specifically, and God answered them specifically. They were so... In love with the Father, knowing His character, that they knew they could pray very specifically about things, and the Father would ask answer them. But what's the other arm of, let's say, Reformed theology? They knew His sovereignty, and they rested in that that if that answer wasn't exactly that or it was long in coming or any other thing, they still had the foundation of trusting who the Father was regardless of circumstances. They had built their house on the rock so that when the winds came and the waves blew, or the, you guys get it, there was a firm foundation. And again, man, it's scary in there. It's scary in there. Believe me, I'm with all of you guys. I get terrified just like you guys do. But man, my feet are planted on the rock of my salvation. You know, a couple other points on C I wanted to bring. Do you guys remember the woman who had the issue of blood? Man, you talk about persistence. She just said, I am going to touch this guy because I know if I just touch him, I'm going to be healed. Man, she's busting through the crowd I mean, like a guy going into the end zone. She probably jumped for the hem of his garment. And you, know, you guys know the story about Jesus is, ta- or Jesus is there, and this woman comes up and says, Hey, would you bless me? And he says, No, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the house of Israel. You're a Samaritan. And he says, Why would I give food prepared for Israel to dogs? How would you like to be called a dog by the Lord? And what does she say? Do you guys know that story? What does she say? Even dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Talk about faith. That's faith. And I had one more. The centurion. Hey Lord, would you come heal my servant? He's sick. Jesus says, Man, I'm on my way. He says, No, no, no. He says, I'm a man of authority. I say to this guy, go, he goes. I say to this guy come, he comes. He says, Man, Jesus, say the word. Guess what? Jesus is the Lord of circumstances. Whether he chooses to clear them out of the way, a little bit different story, but the reality is he's still Lord of Circumstances. And what did Jesus say? If I'm calling correctly, Pastor, remind me of this. I've not found such great faith in all of Israel because he understood the power of Christ. Next, constantly try to ask the question starting with, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? He's our Father. Remember how this whole thing started with Him walking with man and women in the garden. I mean, how cool is that? And has that changed? No. His desire is to walk daily with His children, arm-in-arm talking, relaxing in the Garden of Eden. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to hear your cries. He wants to answer your cries and answer your prayers. Matthew seven, seven through eleven: Asking it shall be given to you; seeking you will find; Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or and man, just just listen to this, guys. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask? That's the God who walks with us in our desert, in our wilderness. Eve, to renew your mind in the perspective of Scripture, and again, I don't think we can overemphasize this enough. The Bible says that we're strangers and foreigners in this land. Jesus says the world's going to hate us as it hated him because he and we are not of this world, if you're a believer. Therefore, our thinking needs to be from the world that we're from. And what world is that? It's a spiritual world and one that is in direct contrast to what we're fed daily by everything around us. Not Christian, and I hate to say it, but oftentimes Christian. That's why, as a believer, you are solely responsible to know the Word of God that you can accurately handle and discern and test to verify whether or not the guy that you're listening to on the radio, Matthew Rojek, Leon Stevens, your Mac group leader, you guys are responsible to have your heart and your mind filled with the Word of God. Good buddy of mine, Tom Heffernan. Some of you guys know him. Um, We were talking a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about going through tests and trials. And he said that there was a real old guy at his church who, you know, Tom would confide in, uh, you know, about some of the struggles that Tom was going to or going through. And the guy would come back the next week and he'd say, "Did you pass the test?" He says, "Because guess what? If you didn't, you get to take it again." And I just think that's hilarious. So I would exhort you if you're going through a test or a trial. Man, pass it. Pass it. Because you don't want to go through it again. Learn the lesson that's in that thing. Again, man, God is not asleep nor inactive. He is alive and at work in our lives for our good. Coincidence? Absolutely not. He holds time, space, circumstances in His hands. And he dictates events deliberately. There is nothing, there is no such thing as chance or coincidence in the life of a believer. Even in the life of an unbeliever, there is it. God still directs it all. So what's the application? Again, this is from Stuart. Moses cried unto the Lord. It is one of the most prominent traits of the character of Moses that at the occurrence of a difficulty, he always carried it straight to God. Not in grumbling, but in crying out. So two things I'd ask you to do. I would ask that in, your, in application this week, you look for God everywhere. In nature, in your circumstances, in your gifts, in your weaknesses, in those around you, and in the negative that you see. For they all have purpose. And second... Check your foundation. What does your foundation rest on? Prestige, salary, friends, upbringing, works. If it's anything other than Christ and Christ alone, it's sinking sand. And I want to ask you guys to forgive me. I meant to go through the whole, the last, uh, the last paragraph of the end of chapter 7 where Jesus talks about building your house on the rock or building your house on the sand. And that's what this reference is to. What's your foundation? It's got to be in the finished work of Christ. So those are your applications. So what I'd like to do, just in wrapping it up, there were so many parallels as I was reading through this thing, but the main one is Moses striking the rock, water came out. In essence, that water equated life to the Israelites. Now, where else do we know this from? Who else is a rock? Christ. Who else was struck? Christ, by the Father, for you and I. And not just natural water came from the striking, but living water. So man, if you guys are here and you're not a believer, or maybe you even think you're a believer, I would just ask you to reach out, seek Christ, because what he's, you know what he says? He says, I give living water a woman at the well was looking to drink regular water. Jesus says, man, if you drink of that water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the living water that I am, you'll never thirst again. Christ is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our foundation. He is the ruler of circumstances. He and he alone is not only the reason we live, but the reason we can keep on living. I can tell you at 58 years old, I've seen... Lots of sorrow in the last two years. In the last two years alone, there have been two people that we've known that have been married for over 38 years. Strong believers that marriages just blew up because of adultery. Two marriages. Yeah, I know, Demetrius. is N- that nuts? And I tell you, man, sometimes I want to just say like, Lord, really? Man, get me out of here. I I can't do this much longer. And yet, I have hope. You guys want to have hope? Saturday, go down to Pingree Park and watch how many people show up to play soccer and look at all the moms and dads and aunts and uncles are there. And that will give you hope that Christ is alive. You know, again, once once again, high-five to David Smith for believing in Pastor Eric and funding him and encouraging him to help Mac be born. I can't tell you, I mean, I wish I could tell you, but there are so many things that are happening in this community right now that to our visual eyes we might not see, but there's so many seeds and undercurrents of things that have been planted a year or two or three or four ago. There's people that I've met that, they know this person who knows this person who knows this person who came because of here. I mean, man, this whole thing is scattered. It's like this big organic, like underground mushroom that's, that's springing up all over the 48214. I have hope. I have hope. So, once again, man, trust in Christ. If you're not a believer or if you're struggling, come on up and talk to me afterwards. Talk to one of the pastors. There's other elders here. You can talk to them. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. So we're going to do a couple things. We're going to take offering and uh, take communion.